WERA.FM. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. I've been talking about research, theory, and curiosity in work and life for a long time now. So when a group of experienced designers reached out about something they called architecting curiosity, I was interested. I apologize in advance for some of the audio quality in this episode. We do the best with what we have when we have it. Well, my name is Pim Schachtskabel. Um, so I, as you can hear, that's a, a foreign name. I live in Europe and I'm, I'm formally trained as an architect, but went into the field of experience design and currently wear the hat of a creative strategic designer. And I can jump into the architecting as a formal architect because it, you know the the way that I learned it in school was you know a master builder someone who could build or design buildings but as I've gotten to unpack the word even more as archi is also beginning and and, and tecton is something material but also in arts it's basically the you know the beginning of a creation and that creating of, of a thing itself. Um, architecting is not even an official word, I believe. So it's almost something that people have started to use to describe, yeah, what we are calling sort of the, the, the beginning of building something. So we could also be architecting creativity, um, architecting integrity. Uh, so that's how I'd speak to architecting at this moment. I'm Anthony Rocco. I use he, him. I live on the land of the Ohlone known as San Francisco. I am called a experiential designer or strategist. These words that we're using to describe timeless, universal human experience or qualities are from Greek and Latin. And I feel like it was a, uh, a beautiful gift from the ancients, some of the synchronicities in that the roots of the Latin that formed curiosity come from two kind of very distinct, discrete places. One of them is curiosos, which is speaking to the quality of inquiry that from a neuroscience standpoint, we are infovores. We crave information. We create questions in our mind brain, whatever you want to describe it as, to, to kind of harvest information. The other side of curiosity comes from Cura. And Cura is the goddess that breathed life into the first humans. And so its root deals with care and cure when you cure something or care for something. And so there's, there is, at this intersection of the two, there is a profound thing of what it is that perhaps the greatest care or the cure for our loneliness or many ways that we describe it, the three of us describe it, is perhaps just a very considered question. Uh, my attention that I am curious how you're doing in a sincere and authentic way. And that to me is, is what 
is really magical about this word as we've kind of been gifted it, gifted it from the past. I am Monica Canfield Lenfest, and I wear a lot of hats. I'm a clairvoyant and a curiosity seeker and a project manager. So then you put them together. We have architecting, curiosity, right? So how do we bring that apprenticing approach to inquiry and care to life, really, to, to everything. And so this framework is, is really more about asking questions and being open to exploring than finding answers. For a month, I joined fellow travelers every Monday morning for a carefully curated series of conversations and reflections built around six principles, foundational guides to help us through ordinary life and perhaps extraordinary challenges. The principles serve as a system to practice building our curiosity muscles. Observing, using all our senses to notice what's around in the moment. Suspending temporarily being open to the possibility of something new. Apprenticing, using our beginner's eyes, mind, and heart to learn by doing. Ritualizing, intentionally exploring a sequence of activities. Gracing, acting with beauty, love, humor, and ease. And finally, flowing, moving smoothly and continuously from moment to moment. I found the principles surprisingly robust, and they have stayed with me, which is no small thing. Pim, Monica, Anthony, and I had a long and really wonderful conversation all about the principles and how they came to this framework. But the most fun was when we took a peek behind the architecting curiosity curtain to see these experienced designers' minds at work. So you asked me to bring an object. This was like really hard. So one thing to represent curiosity. I was like, no, this simply can't be done. Or anything around me could do, right? So I ended up choosing something that seemed both incredibly prosaic, but for me has represented and captured some of my journey on curiosity. And that's my choose to be curious button. And if you were closer I would be giving you one of these because I have a whole bag of them and I wear my button everywhere. I carry extra buttons with me everywhere. And I had ordered this big bag, renewed big bag before the pandemic hit. And so it sat like with the same number of buttons in it (laughs) for months, a year and a half. And so only recently, you know, was I, am I now putting them into pockets and making sure that every coat or jacket that I have has them stuffed into spare pockets. But for me, it's a, it's a playful and an invitation. People notice them right away. It generates conversation and connection, which I think 
is what curiosity does, is it generates connection and conversation. It's also deceptively simple. I mean, like curiosity itself, these buttons, I mean, the, the name of the show is a bit of a mantra in and of itself. You know, I, I came to it by thinking I wanted to do this show about curiosity and I, I just, it, my working title was Curiosity Radio. But as I kept thinking about what was it that I wanted to come out of the show and these conversations is that people have a lot of choices to make in life. Given the opportunity, I wanted them to choose curiosity. And I kept kind of coming back to that as this refrain as I was building the concept of the show. And so for me, it's a it's a touchstone. It's a place back to that very kind of reminder. And in the end, you know, for me, choosing to be curious is acting on this belief that there's opportunity in the unknown. And the button is an invitation for other people to engage with the unknown, to engage with me, um, to carry it on to their day and think about other ways that they might choose to be curious. So I ended up choosing my little lapel button. So I'm curious, why did you ask? What... I think that um, when someone describes curiosity, I think there is something in the world around us, in objects that we see and perceive, um, where there is always so much more underneath it. You know, your button, as you described so beautifully, has a story and even sort of a reason why you started the show. So I could probably pick up any object that I have here. And there's a reason it's on my desk. And um, we have so much more, I think, associations with it. Uh, and as your button is an invitation for a conversation, the object is an invitation into, I think, this door of curiosity, where um, we try to observe how the person that we're asking uh, engages with the question is also curious about the object itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious for Anthony and Monica, whether or not um, when Lynn was sharing the object, if there were any questions you had. I was wondering about, well, I, I jumped to metaphor actually. I was thinking about that bag of buttons sitting in your on your desk and how you said, oh, for a year and a half, this these buttons just sit, sat here and how that might have been a metaphor for your own relationship with curiosity or how the that time of stagnancy that I know I experienced a lot of during the quarantine period that if the, if the buttons themselves represented a lack of accessing curiosity in relationship with other people and maybe a shift in your own experience of choosing curiosity or having different choices of how you could choose to be curious? So actually what's interesting is 
I think the radio show kind of kept me sane through the pandemic because it was a mechanism for continuing to engage with people and literally people from all over the world. And it was all mediated through, you know, the internet in a way that it might not have been before. But, but in fact, my world kept growing, which was kind of in marked contrast to most people's. The buttons sat, but, but one of the things I was really grateful about the show and, and sort of my commitment to kind of keeping curiosity alive in the pandemic was that it proved to be a really terrific vehicle for doing just that. My, my curiosity is why buttons? Do you have a special relationship <laughs> to buttons? Also, yeah, like, is that a thing from a, a chapter in your life? Like, were you someone who, like, wore jackets with lots of buttons? Like, why why buttons? Turns out people really like buttons. It doesn't matter how I feel about buttons. Other people really like buttons. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a button story. <laughs> You, you just you just decided let other people like like how did you decide that that was what would be the the because then it kind of appears like it's a you're in a social dynamic moment here's a button they get to take it they're like oh this cool artifact I'm gonna walk away with this thing so that's what you were kind of looking at it from a this is what's gonna spark curiosity in them. No, see, oh, see, this is really interesting because this gets to you all as experienced designers, right? You're wanting to understand my intention and design of the buttons, which is wonderful because this is sort of brings what you all do so especially well forward. So for me, and I think Anthony, you and I have had this conversation, I'm actually pretty introverted and I'm not the kind of person who approaches strangers on the street. I'm not the kind of person that initiates random conversations easily. The show has helped me do that better, but the buttons are totally a way of making a leap that I might not otherwise make because, because they are that invitation and they oddly have an appeal across the lifespan. People will often tell me that they're taking a button for their kid, but I don't always believe them about that. I, I I was on a walk somewhere and somebody was handing out buttons as a part of it. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That's sort of a cute thing. I wonder if I could make, if I could do this. So I, I made a small investment, right? I made a little investment. I bought, I had a couple of buttons made up and they just flew out of my hands. And I thought, I wouldn't have thought of it, but this works. So, I mean, to your, to your model in terms of designing experiences and kind of creating ways for people to engage, be playful, all of those things. It was a kind of prototyping, I guess. That's how I ended up with buttons. I also see your your buttons as a as a metaphor of like this this big bag that has like infinite amount of buttons. For you, that's kind of like <laughs> a way to engage curiosity where, you know, curiosity in itself is also infinite. Um, and everyone has to find their own buttons uh, or practices. Oh, man. See, I'm going to think about my buttons differently from now on. Thank you. 
I have one more short question about the button thing. What is yes. like, what is your kind of, uh, well, especially being self-identified as introverted, how did your, I call it scene work when you're in a moment with someone and you're kind of doing the handoff of like the button, how did your scene work kind of change or shift or refine from the first time maybe feeling a certain way in handing off this button to like now having done it dozens of maybe not hundreds of times? Um, I don't know. Um, um, early on, before I learned to have supplies of them in all available pockets, people would say, oh, I like your button. And I would unpin it and just give it to them. And and sometimes I still do that because that's a really magic moment. Yes. That really feels like a gift in a way that having a spare still feels like a gift, but not quite as intimate. No. So. Um, I guess I have learned to gauge how intimate the exchange might best be. Yeah. There's, there's an internal intuition of will me unpinning it, which is a, a grander gesture in a way, land in a way like that this person will be able to kind of receive the the import of that thing versus reaching into a pocket, having a spare and going like here, that's a beautiful uh, quality that you've cultivated in this little ritual that you do. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I didn't think of it as a ritual. Now I do. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So typically at the end of each of my shows, I bring out my big jar of wannabe analogies, literally a big jar with slips of paper inside. Then I invite my guests to join me in pulling a slip of paper out. And we make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on this slip of paper. We've talked a lot about analogies and metaphors in this conversation already. So I feel like there's been this huge prelude, but I guess as as experienced designers, you you give me an opportunity to sort of approach the big jar of wannabe analogies differently. And so I wanted to ask you to using the principles and how my big jar of wannabe analogies is like those principles or embodies those principles, because I came to really appreciate an experience that I create for my guests differently through this course, this class, this journey. And I'd like to hear you think about it out loud too. I mean, I, 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 I can't help but like observe you holding this jar and opening it and making sound. So there's, I'm looking at this container that is holding words that I don't know, but is also a representation of your ritual uh, outside of your room of collecting these words. And I can see if there's only one left or if there is multiple in the jar. Um, and which the part that I'm imagining now is sort of 
how you would reach into the bowl and then you know take a take a moment to suspend which one you would take and trying trying to imagine that sort of observing the the both nervousness of what word and then eventually sort of the answer that can be given to uh to that word so there's a beautiful moment where visually can observe but also observing what it does to the person being interviewed the apprenticing one i'm gonna i'm gonna do the easy ones because i just can't help myself apprenticing you're putting someone on the spot in in a way that especially subject matter experts who come on and do their talk how many times does one speak to the thing, let alone having thought about the thing internally. And so we, and this is a cultural thing, place of value on how eloquently or concisely and impactfully we construct a sentence and then deliver this idea. And all of a sudden you are inviting this subject matter expert to step into a space where they must improvise. And that is, and, and you're holding that really beautiful container for them to have permission to not have a right answer. And for me, that is one of like the key things about apprenticing and curiosity in general is that it's not about getting to a level of mastery, quote unquote, where it, where it loses its, its playfulness. The second one I'll speak to is gracing which is for me, the, the humor is delightful. Uh, you are usually probably having these very like intensely fascinating conversations. And all of a sudden now you're going to invite us to talk about how curiosity is like ketchup and that level of silliness and absurdity is the very delightfulness that gracing speaks to it's can we both hold the seriousness like in one hand curiosity is this just mind-bogglingly powerful force that lives within inside of us and at the same time like how is it like ketchup it's, it you, you you hold that very gracefully and so i want to also like say that it's not just the ritual but also lynn how you're holding that container that embodies those principles okay that's my piece thank you for that i mean suspending comes up for me in a big way with this activity of similar to what Anthony was speaking to of the challenging the expert to not necessarily know the answer, but suspending this expectation of what might be in the jar. You're really inviting this opportunity to not know what the question's going to be and what a gift that is in, in relation to curiosity, because we, so often think we know what's coming, but it's very different than we anticipate. Yeah, and 
and also um i love the ritual of it i love the ritual of the jar and how clear how clearly it it marks the the ending of the conversation that you have with people to be able to honor the ending in this playful way it really honors flowing makes me think of that principle also just that everything comes to an end You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Find us online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Many thanks to my guests, Pim Shkashkabel, Anthony Rocco, and Monica Canfield-Lenfest. Not just for this conversation, but for the gift of their mentorship and truly beautiful design work. More about Architecting Curiosity at architectingcuriosity.com on LinkedIn. Links, of course, on my website. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Slow Lane Lover by Barstool via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. And if you see me on the street, be sure I give you a button. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. 